And it's a beautiful poem, isn't it? It's a beautiful word from Scripture. But it's also got this amazing structure. Um, so it starts and ends with the Lord looking after me. And then there's a little bit about the food and drink and rescue and safety and comfort. And then the central bit, which is like the most important bit, the focus point of this that we're going to be looking at today, is no fear of death or evil. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, David can say. And that's really what he's wanting to focus on in this psalm and what we're talking about. So, again, if you're anything like me, the first thing you think about when you read this is, well, what is this valley of shadow of death? It's a bit of a weird expression to us, isn't it? And so, I did some research, and that is kind of like, there's a couple of other pictures, but this is kind of like a valley of a shadow of death. It's basically, it's not kettering over there, okay? It's not just flat and green and roads and things. There's like big mountains, and then through the middle of it, there's these like really steep gorges that have been cut by rivers over the millennia. So, what it, what it means, this valley of shadow of death, is basically, even when the sun is shining at its kind of like highest point in the bright midday, it's dark inside of this because it's so steep that even the sun can't get down into it. And um, one person from the Middle East wrote this. He said, valleys of the shadow of death, this is a well-known term in the, in the Middle East, in the, in the Holy Land, valleys of the shadow of death are paths which wind in between mountains where there are dark shadows and deep gorges. Travelers march slowly and silently in order to avoid being seen or heard by bandits. The fear of death is constantly in their minds. They tremble. They expect trouble or death at any time when they're passing through. Okay? Doesn't sound like a very nice place, does it? And as well as that, you've also got the danger of flash floods. So usually it's very dry. There's maybe a little trickle of a river at the bottom. But occasionally, when there's rain, suddenly there's a massive torrent going through it. And you can't get away because you can't climb up the sides. They're too steep. You can't run one way or another because you can't outrun it. And this still happens even today. So just last year, this is Petra in Jordan, famous um, archaeological site. Uh, just a year ago, there was a flash flood and people had to be evacuated. In 2018, flood water suddenly rose to four meters and swept 12 people away. And that was after they built a dam to try and stop all this from happening, because it was even worse in the past. So this is, this is a well-known thing that happens in that geography. And there's another shepherd um, in the Middle East who wrote this. There is an actual valley of the shadow of death in Palestine, and every shepherd knows of it. It's a very narrow valley through a mountain range where the water often foams and roars, torn by jagged rocks. The path plunges downwards into a deep and narrow gorge of sheer precipices overhung by frowning sphinx-like battlements of rocks which almost touch overhead. Its side walls rise like the stone walls of a great cathedral. The valley is about five miles long, yet it's not more than four meters wide at the widest section of the base. The actual path on solid rock is so narrow that in places the sheep can hardly turn around in case of danger. In places, galleys, gullies two meters wide have been washed away. So do we see a bit more about what this valley of the shadow of death is, right? There's no light. It's a steep path. One bad step and you're over the edge. You might fall to your death. There's a raging river below you, maybe. 
the risk of flash floods with no way to escape, bandits, wild animals waiting to attack, and there's no way to turn around if you're in danger or run away. So, hands up, who here would love to go through one of these valleys? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Why on earth would you go through one of these? Why would you even, why would you even try? Why would you even try? And why would David, who wrote this psalm, go through this? If we look in verse 3, what's he just said? He leads me in paths of righteousness. Now, he leads me to good paths. He leads me along good routes. So why is he now leading us through this valley of the shadow of death? Why is God leading us like this? And it says even, doesn't it, he leads me through paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And we remember Vlada from a few, three weeks ago, don't you? He was talking about for his name's sake, for the name of Jesus. He was saying that God's reputation is as a good shepherd, and he won't do anything to break that, to prejudice that. Even if it involves putting himself in danger, he wants to live up to his name, his reputation, his honor of being a good shepherd and looking after his sheep. That's why he rescues us. That's why he cares for us in verse 3. So after all of this, why on earth is he taking us through this dangerous, nasty place? Or perhaps, to put it another way, why, even today, do shepherds and tourists and other people go along these routes? Why? And actually, the answer is quite simple, isn't it? It's not like Kettering. It's not like Kettering. It's not green and flat and easy. It's, it's the only way to get from point A to point B sometimes, is to go through this route. And the people there know that. David's saying, yes, it's a dangerous and risky path that you have to go through, but it's the only way to go. And if we look at this, at the beginning, the Lord is my shepherd, he lies me in green pastures, etc. At the end, I will dwell in the house of the Lord all of my days. It's like we're on a journey through this psalm with God. We're going from one place to another, and in the middle of it, both, both ends are good, in the middle, it's a bit scary. It's quite dangerous. But David says, in spite of that, I won't fear. Doesn't he? And we know, don't we? We've just, we've just heard a few testimonies. We will... We will go through these difficult places in our lives. It's not like maybe some people will, maybe some people won't. Of course, we will. Because God is leading us all on a good journey. The journey is good, isn't it? The start point is good, the end point's good, the bit in the middle is a bit scary, but we're still going to be looked after. But God is with us. And what does David say? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there will be no evil? No, he doesn't say that, does he? He says, I will fear no evil. And we know that, that bad things do, do happen in life, don't they? And when that happens, we can cry out, we can say, God, where are you? Where are you? And sometimes when we're in that place, we can feel him more closely or less closely, but it doesn't, it doesn't negate the fact that he is there with us in that. But what David's getting at here is oftentimes, like Matt was sharing just earlier about his, his daughter being afraid to go of, to something that she didn't know, oftentimes for us, 
It's the fear of evil that's maybe worse than the, the issues that we have itself, isn't it? I mean, I know I've had many sleepless nights. I'm sure lots of people here have had sleepless nights worrying, fretting about something at work, something in life, something, you know, finances, money, whatever, whatever, it, whatever it may be. We, we can so often be caught up by the fear, and so often that's the thing that we really need to change and to focus on. There's a well-known um, psychological reaction, isn't there? Pavlovian reaction. So there was this guy um, 150 years ago, Ivan Pavlov, and he was studying dogs. And he noticed that the same technician would always bring in meat for the dogs. And then they got to know him over time, and so they associated the technician with the meat. And so whenever they saw the technician, then they started to like wag their tails and get all excited, like, where's the meat? Where's the meat going to be? And it can be like that, if not worse, for us with fear, can't it? Maybe we've experienced something in the past, and then we, we're going through something in the present, and it's kind of similar, and instantly we think, oh no, it didn't work out last time, it's going to be awful this time. Well, there, there's so many things like that, isn't there? It's how can you escape? How can you escape from it? Your, your heart races. I just, you know, even yesterday when I was preparing this, I got a message from someone, and suddenly I was like, flight or fight response where it was like, oh, no, and I was just thinking, no, it's not going to be that. This is the fear kicking in, isn't it? And maybe even as we've been reading some of these descriptions of the shadow of death, it's triggered something in you. I don't know. It's, it's a scary place, isn't it? But David and God tells us here, we don't need to fear. And we'll look at why in a bit. But if we fast forward to the New Testament, to Jesus, he says, similar things, doesn't he? It says, it says this all through the Bible. Um, so, Matthew 6, 25, he says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap and gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? Why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, the beautiful flowers. They neither toil nor spin. And yet even Solomon, in all his glory, was not clothed like these. But if God looks after the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown away, will he not so much more clothe you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. He says, don't fear the future. Don't fear the future, says Jesus. God looks after people then. He looks after us now. We don't need to fear. And Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And so it's so often a battle in our minds, isn't it, more than anything else? When we're, we're sleepless nights or something and we're thinking and we just let these worries and fears start to tick over. It's, no, I don't want to think like that. God, I know you are looking after that. I want to, it says cast, doesn't it? It's like a fisherman casting his rod, throwing something away. It's, no, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. I want to. I want to be rid of this, Lord. I want to give it to you. And we'll, we'll have some time later when we can pray about this and, and some other things, I think. But even with these verses, it's so hard, isn't it? It's re it is really hard. It's, it, 
it's so hard to just turn our focus onto Jesus when we're in the middle of these situations and these fear. And I, I know, yeah, so many of us will be going through these things at the moment. So I don't think I have any real words of wisdom or advice more than what the Bible says here, more than what Jesus says here. But the beautiful thing is, in all of this, God is with us and He cares for us. He wants us to rely more and more on Him and He will look after us. He will protect us. He will comfort us. He will rescue us. He'll lead us through to His house, to His table. We need to remember the end that's in mind. And also, when we read this psalm, we can think very much it's about me as a sheep and God as a shepherd, right? But a shepherd doesn't look after just one sheep. He looks after a whole flock. It'd be a bit pointless just looking after one sheep, right? I mean, yes, if he goes off, you go and find it, but the shepherd wants to look after the whole flock. It's not just me and God. We are all part of this flock. And so different people will be at different places today. Some people might be in green lush pastures with crystal, beautiful, cold mountain rivers going by. And some people might be in the depths of despair, feeling like they're just about to go over the precipice into the rushing torrent below, right? But we can encourage each other and help each other when we're in those different places, when we're gathered together today. Yes, it's God that's looking after us, but we can also look after each other and encourage and look out for each other. And at this point in the psalm, the central point here about the valley of the shadow of death, something amazing happens. I don't know if you noticed when, when you're reading through, but the first half of the psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, he does this, he does that. It's kind of distant and impersonal, right? In the very middle there, it's about me and my difficulties. And then the second half, you, it's much more close, isn't it? You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I will dwell in your house. It's close. It's personal. And what David's trying to show us here, it's almost like we're on this journey, and as we're going through the difficulties in the middle, we're getting closer to God through this. Starts off as more distant, and then the second half, after we've gone through this, because of this, we feel him closer to us. And I don't think it's particularly helpful here for me to share all about different pains and sufferings and whatever that I've been through or are going through. But I know that when I've been through those times, coming out of the end of it and during the middle of it, I felt so much closer to God than before. And I do believe that that is true, and it's true for us today. So what's David saying here? He's saying, yes, there will be suffering and fear of suffering, but God is guiding us through. He's close to us during this time. He's got a good plan for us. We're on a journey together. We're going somewhere. We're going to his house, to his table. This suffering that we might be going through at the moment, this fear that we might be going through at the moment, it's not the dwelling place. It's not where we're going to end up. We're going to go through, and it's going to be so much better. And to get to his house, we need to go through this valley. So how is it then that God helps us in the midst of this? He says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So this, we talked about not fearing evil, but how and why 
do we not fear evil? If you think about it, and I've got really no um, idea about agriculture, but I have watched Clarkson's Farm, so I've got a little bit of an idea. If you've seen maybe Caleb talking about sheep, he said quite a lot of stuff on there that I probably can't repeat in church. But um, <laughs> sheep are really pretty useless animals by themselves, aren't they? they, they they're totally defenseless. They can't bite. They can't kick. They haven't got claws. They can't really run very fast other than to maybe outrun the you know, slightly slower sheep next to them. Um, <laughs> they're not very good at running or climbing or jumping or hiding or camouflaging. They're, 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 they're very passive, and even in our language, we have so many different words that, that explain that, don't we? We say maybe someone's quite sheepish. What does that mean? Strong and courageous? Not really. Uh, we say we were fleeced. Um, we say like a lamb, or we say maybe a wolf in sheep's clothing. What's that? That's something that looks really nice but is actually quite dangerous because we know that sheep aren't dangerous. The only thing that looks after a flock of sheep is the shepherd. And that's who God is pictured as. And he's got two things here that give us comfort. He's got a rod and a staff. Okay, so a rod is basically a baseball bat. And, you know, you can probably do quite a lot of damage with a baseball bat, can't you? You If if anything's attacking you, you can stop it from attacking you with a good whack of a baseball bat. And what they would usually do is whack some nails and things in the end to make it sort of spiky and even more dangerous. So... um, it's actually been around. This is a uh, thing from 5,000 years ago. It's from Egypt. It shows a pharaoh with a rod, a baseball bat, about to probably execute a captive or someone that he, that he beat in, in, um, in battle. So, you know, people have known for 5,000 years that a good whack with a baseball bat is, is good enough for a lot of things. So it's to protect us and defend us from attack. But also, the shepherds use this for another thing. At the end of the day, when they're bringing the sheep back home into the fold, they'll create like a little narrow door, and they'll put the bat, just the rod, just between that, so that the sheep can only go in one at a time, and so they'll be able to count the sheep as they go in, and that's how they can say, is all of my flock in or not? So it's also a bit of a, a protection tool in terms of, oh, if someone's gone lost, okay, we can then send a search party out at the end of the day. So that's the rod. And then there's a staff, which is, um, you know, like a walking stick, but with a hook on the end, you know, like bishops or something used today, effectively. But that's for both guiding the sheep, you, you know, you give them a little prod to show which way they're meant to go, and it's also the hook is for pulling them up out if they've got trapped somewhere. You can just hook it around them and pull them out. So it's a great picture, isn't it? You've got the, the rod, the baseball bat for defending and protecting, and you've got the staff for guiding and for rescuing And so David's saying that's why we don't need to fear evil when God is with us. He's strong enough to stop anything that's attacking, and he's got the staff to guide us. He wants to look after us for his name's sake. His his first calling here is to be a good shepherd. He's going to do that to defend his honor of being a good shepherd, even if it costs him. And... So far, this is a great picture, isn't it? It's a good story. If I was in a synagogue, I could probably say exactly the same thing, right? And everyone would be like, yeah, that's good, that's good, we agree with that, or in many other religious places. So what difference does it make that we have Jesus? What difference does Jesus make in all of this? And the beautiful thing is, as we're going to be celebrating in Christmas in a couple of, a couple of months' time, 
I can see with the lights, we're already starting. Um, the beautiful thing is that Jesus is not far away. In, in most religions, God is this distant person. And yes, we can say, yes, he might guide us. He gives us his word. He, you know, he, he'll protect us. Yes, we agree with this as a philosophical thing. But in Jesus, God came down to earth and came close to us. And when in John 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, yes, he was meaning it in a good, nice sense, but he was referring back to this psalm. And how does that start? The Lord is my shepherd. So when Jesus says, I'm a good shepherd, I'm the good shepherd, he's saying, I'm God. I'm God himself. And the Jews would have been shocked hearing that. We think, oh, it's a nice little thing that he said. But actually, he's saying, I am God. Come down. I am this person that David was writing about. And if we think about Jesus and his story, he knows exactly what it's like to go through life. He knows what it's like to be in the green pastures. He knows what it's like to go through the valley of the shadow of death and to fear evil. He knows what it's like to be in the house of the Lord at the end. And Jesus used this psalm to talk about himself. In John 10, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd, doesn't own the sheep. When he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. When the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it, the man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And that's what Jesus did, isn't it? He cared so much about his reputation, his honor, his name. He even laid down his life for the sheep, for us, to save us. And Jesus went through this valley of the shadow of death. He literally died on the cross and came to life again. So if there's anyone who's going to guide us through this valley of the shadow of death, it's Jesus, isn't it? He's been through before. He knows the way. He knows the beginning. He knows the end. And he knows the difficult bits in the journey. And we can trust him because he's been through there. He prepared the way. He knows the way. He is the way. And he's with us every step of the way. So I'm going to finish there. And I think it'd be great to have a time of prayer and reflection on this.